This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in Standard Orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of... Captain Kirk and crew. My name is Ken Tripp, and I am with you solo this week. Zach Moore is out reshooting some additional scenes for the Green Berets. I guess the test audience didn't find his particular scenes that attractive, and so he's back at it again. In all seriousness, Zach is at a conference this week down in Texas. He runs quite the um, company, a production house company, and he's at a convention. Uh, last year, he won a bunch of awards. I hope this year the same thing comes true for him. He's such a hardworking guy, and I know his partner and him do a lot of great things down in Texas. So anyway, it's just me. And what we're going to be talking about today a little bit on Standard Orbit is some of your questions that I asked you to, to kindly present in the Babel Conference. As well as we're going to look at some uh, a very great email we got from Thomas Flint, and it's about our controversial episode. I say controversial just because of the um, the letter that he wrote, and I'm sure he's not the only one that had some feedback that that he wanted to share. So we're going to go there. But first, I wanted to talk a little bit about what's happening across Trek FM. These are very exciting times, folks. We've got a new podcast called The Edge that started last week, dropped with three episodes. And I'm so excited for Brandon and Amy and Aaron for launching. And now I think uh, we have a good contingency down at San Diego. And then in just a few more weeks, Star Trek Las Vegas, uh, 30th anniversary of TNG. I know a lot of our friends will be back down there. Unfortunately, I cannot go, but uh, I cannot wait to hear the reports. And I am so excited. I had sent out a tweet, oh, I don't know, maybe about a month and a half ago or so. And it had to do with the fact that we just have not seen anything new at Star Trek conventions. Last year, if you'll remember, at San Diego Comic-Con, they showed a shot of the Discovery and they showed, you know, some of the some of the cast members. And, and I remember that um, at Creation last year, we got nothing. I mean, we were celebrating, of course, the best series of all times in the original series. However, I think what really makes it uh, exciting this year is that the cast and crew of Discovery are heading to Las Vegas, and they're going to be with Star Trek fans exclusively. And it's really exciting because 
I really felt that uh, creation had not been doing a lot on that frontier. Even last year, after Beyond came out, there was virtually nothing uh, down at that convention for, uh, for in Las Vegas, the 50th anniversary that covered the new movie. Very, very little. The New York uh, event uh, run, I think, through CBS, by CBS or whatnot, or did, did have a lot of the, um, the guest stars from, from Beyond. So nice to see the, um, the crew of the Discovery heading to Las Vegas. I'm sure Amy and many of our other friends out there will have a good time going through and, uh, and, and reporting back to us on what they've seen. I can't wait to hear those episodes. And I'm really excited for all the things that are happening. There's there's an electricity now around the Star Trek uh, whole environment, right? We've got a new series. We've got new podcasts. People are coming around, and we had a new trailer that dropped last week, and that is really exciting. And, you know, throughout it all, a lot of your favorite shows will still continue, and we'll try to be creative and innovative to ensure that we keep you interested, because we now we've got some real heavy competition. But I look at it this way. We're not competitors, even though I just said competition. We're partners. I am really looking forward to seeing this this new series more than I can express. I think it's about time that we were rewarded with uh, our patience and Star Trek given a real proper TV series because that's where Star Trek operates best. And we are going to have a good time with it. So with that, what I wanted to do first here was to bring up a letter by um, Thomas Flint. He, he sent it to both Zach and I, and it is a, first of all, Tom, uh, Thomas, I want to say thank you, because I can tell you put a lot of heart and soul into this, and you even kind of state that it was difficult for you to write it, but you had some really good points. And I think, you know, when we talk about thinking things like the gospel according to Star Trek, and we have one very specific narrative that really looks at just a Christian point of view. Well, we know there are many other points of view that we watch Star Trek through. We all have different lenses based on our own beliefs and upbringings. And this, I thought, was a great episode, and I really enjoyed it. But I also thought we were probably going to be getting some feedback on it and get some... um, Get some comments that that people might see in a, or go in another direction. And in this case, I think Thomas really illustrates very, very well some of the things that he got out of it and some of his opinions that he would like to share. So I'm going to read that letter now. Dear Standard Orbit Crew, I was putting off sending you my opinions on 179, Gospel According to Star Trek, but upon my second listen to your conversation with Kevin Neese, I realized the ancient drives are too strong. I'd hoped I'd be spared this topic, but it struck a nerve. I am a seminary graduate, and my studies were focused on practical theology and religious philosophy. I've been a Wesleyan scholar, and I have experience working with church systems and among other Protestant clergy, but am retired from that career now. I agree with a lot of what he had to say, particularly with how personal religion, in the absence of personal religion, informs our character, such as the explanations of the Amigo Del moral influence, the common good, social worth of belief, the majority's iconoclastic nature, etc. Ken, you asked the questions I would have asked, and I appreciate that. Brave to bring up redemption in an, in an entertainment context, but your guess identifying stock with historical Jesus, 45, <laughs> this was 45 minutes into the uh, standard order, was too much, so I offer my own views. Zach, though, it seemed you rather quickly told the line that Mr. Neese drew. Your statement 
It is what you bring to it, right? Was indeed wise. Yes, right. Each of us cannot avoid bringing our own experience, opinion, and preconceptions to bear on any form of observation, study, or refutation. I can read well, guys. Back to his note. Something I really objected to was identifying return of the archons as an allegory of organized religion. Certainly, there are resultant dangers from checking your brain at the door. But Zach and Kevin, your premise is way too far-fetched for this particular listener. Return simply is not a religious episode. It doesn't even profess to create and exemplify any religious system at all. Let us not assume that Planet Beta 3's stagnant culture dominated by a computer brought into being by a scientist named Landro over 6,000 years, gone wacky, is proto-religious or remotely philosophical. The inhabitants are mesmerized and terrorized, of course, but as a reaction to circumstance, Star Trek Doesn't.com doesn't even mention religion in its own depiction of the episode. Red Hour, some sort of festival, Landro's appearance on walls, hollow pipes, hypocrisy, zombies, and really bad Vulcan costume just don't correlate. As Nomad would say, your facts are uncoordinated. The body, unfortunately, can be seen as the body of Christ, which is the general church. Too obvious an equation for us to for us lean to, for us learned sci-fi fans. The clearest truly religious component, the gospel according to Star Trek, was hospitality I'd offered to strangers. There is a long, long tradition of that virtue being a mandate of most earthly religion. Mr. Nice claimed that the episode was really easy to relate directly to Christianity. Nobody questions that Landrew gave them good teachings, was wise, was a helpful and a healing and salvific influence. My good Thomas, you use some really good words here. I'll be the first in line to recognize a theology, i.e. a paradigm of understanding, even if it should inform atheism or agnosticism, regardless if I agree with it personally. The God I chose to know didn't organize religion. We did that ourselves over centuries of conflict. Instead, look to these episodes. So Tom lists um, the, the empath, let that be your last battlefield, the cloud minders, the Armageddon factor for the world is hollow, the immunity syndrome, savage curtain, and all the different pieces with that. At the end, he writes this. I'm curious why he thinks there will be a sufficient market to warrant publishing a series of books. Speaking only for myself, I like my favorite show but I don't like the attempts to pull meaning out of it. So leave gospel to the gospels. Very interesting response. Um, he doesn't do any social media. He uh, published, he's, a, he's a published author himself, and he was saying that he apologized for being wordy. And I apologize for probably diff having difficulty in reading some of these words. They were pretty deep. I guess what I want to say about this episode was, hey, I thought Kevin Neese um, came up with a way and a method to pull some more humanity out of some of the organized religion. I think he was able to use a lot of good analogies, but I'm not saying I agreed with all of them either, Tom, and I don't think Zach necessarily is. I think it was just exciting because you do view Star Trek through your own lens, and I've seen other people who viewed it through their lens, and I didn't really agree with the way their thought process worked or necessarily what their beliefs in, but I did honor the fact and respect the fact that they had those beliefs and they were using Star Trek for the power of good and how it relates to their own beliefs. And I thought that was pretty special. One of the things that was really funny at the end of this is that Kevin wrote, oh, oh, and from a, quite a few episodes ago, lay off my John Denver. So I'd have used an analogy that John, 
<laughs> I was being very binary. People usually hate or love John Denver. Just for the record, I grew up with him, listened to him all the time, and uh, was so sad when he died so young in a plane crash off San Francisco. So anyway, this was it was a really interesting letter from, from Thomas. I hope I can piece it back together so everybody gets something out of it and understands where he's coming from. I certainly do. I really do appreciate you reading, and I really appreciate you taking the time to write something like that. That takes a lot of work. It is not easy to, um, you know, people, we, we, we all go back and forth on the Babel Conference all the time, but there was a lot of meat to this. And what I meant by that is not only did he say Return of the Archons might not have been a great episode to use in a relevant term towards Christianity, but gives a list of episodes that could be used for the different things that, that, that are really put forth in those episodes and how they could relate better. And I appreciate that too, Thomas. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your letter. And now let's dial it back a little bit. I'm switching now to the Babel Conference where we got some <laughs> very few responses this time. I think, you know, I'm looking at the activity uh, that is surrounding the uh, the launch of Discovery and the Edge and it's convention season and people are out there. And I know just like Zach, we have been busting our tails. It has been a whirlwind these last six, seven months. Now it's really intense and it has been very um, trying at times to make sure that we get these episodes done, cut, edited, published off to Richard in time for uh, for Monday mornings. And this will be no exception either. So I know everybody's rushed. But for those that did take the opportunity to respond, hey, I really appreciate you guys. I really do. And it's always, you know, this this core group of listeners that I, that I really get a kick of. And, you know, I say listeners, um, over the time, you've all become good friends. So thank you for that. So first and foremost, <laughs> I got a question from Tony Black. Who is your favorite actor and why is it William Shatner? I never said William Shatner was my favorite actor. And uh, if you're asking me who my favorite actor is, I don't know that answer. If you're asking me my favorite answer in Star Trek, I can tell you that from a performance basis, I think this is going to surprise a lot of people, but it's Avery Brooks. And I thought as Captain Sisko, he just does a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And the reason I think is probably because I've seen him in person and I've seen the way he communicates with people. And I know a lot of the things that went on in Deep Space Nine particularly the way the character loved baseball and all that stuff. He had no association with it, but he sold it really well. I also think that, uh, you know, you have some phenomenal, phenomenal talent across the series. Uh, you, you get the original cast and crew, which is, which is pretty solid, especially the big three. You've got TNG. I mean, Patrick Stewart, phenomenal. But I will say one thing about Patrick Stewart. The first season or two, it was just over the top. And when he really found his, I guess when he really found his wings and he was able to soar, it was really, you know, in, in seasons three going on, the more humble he became and the more human became, the more believable it became. And and that's why I thought that um, not only is he phenomenal when he does other movies and other characters, but he um, he really came a long way. William Shatner, funny. He, um, he was more like a... a 
captain that I would I would probably know more <laughs> from my time in the service. He was just that down to earth. Then, you know, it starts off with him playing chess, where you have Picard who wouldn't even talk to his crew, and you know, it's supposed to be infallible and all that stuff. Just didn't work. And then you had um, Kate Mulgrew, who I think did a really really nice job. But my favorite of the three, and I'll, I'll tell you one reason why Avery Brooks. Um, I was sharing this with my son the other day. I was at my first convention in probably 25, 30 years back in 2012, and Patrick Stewart was supposed to be there. This was in Memphis, Tennessee, and Avery Brooks came instead because um, Patrick Stewart had been scheduled for, for something else or a movie or some, some conflict, and he came down very, very quickly. And what I liked about Avery Brooks is when he was talking to the team, when he was talking to the audience, he just really connected and was so cool. I mean, this guy is the definition of cool. I was just, I was watching wide-eyed, just like, man, this guy, he can perform, he can capture an audience, he does it so smoothly and in, with, a, with a temperament and a voice that's very soothing, yet um, it, it grabs your attention. And this is what I, what I really um, got out of Avery Brooks. There was one person in the audience who was asking a question that had to do with the fact that he had just graduated from college, was having a real hard time finding a job, and was really becoming very, very upset. And, you know, just rejection letter after rejection letter. And Avery Brooks took that question. He sat down in a big chair and he looked at him. And you could tell he was being very sympathetic and empathetic, but at the same time, very wise. Like, like we had just gone to the Maharishi ourselves and we were getting this profound wisdom. And he, he looked at the, at the young man and he said to him, you know, you, you, you have a problem that a lot of us, all of us, excuse me, you have a problem that all of us had to deal with. And the problem is called youth. Just youth. You know, first loves, breakups, finding a job, all those things. And in the most soothing, comforting words, very simple, just looked at him and said, you'll be all right. And I can, <laughs> you wish there were times you could take something, a message that is so simple, so kind, say it in such a way that it resonates so powerfully because there was nothing, you know, <laughs> that you, that was said. It, it was how it was said. I wish to God it could have been recorded and shared with a lot of people who are struggling with those similar things because, boy, he just did a great job with that. So my favorite Star Trek actor is Avery Brooks. Tim Hand asked me, why is Star Trek the motion picture so freaking awesome, Ken? And then Ajek follows up with, and why is it the motion picture? So, listen, I just rewatched it on a, on a long flight back that was delayed sitting in a thunderstorm. I hadn't watched it in a while. And the more I see it, the different times I go through it. One, as I've said a hundred times before, Star Trek the motion picture is the the most expensive, the most high-end highest level of production you could have in any Star Trek film up until the J.J. movies. Just nothing else touched it. It was that grandiose. Can I be objective about it and say it's slow and its pacing could have been a lot better? Absolutely, I can, and it could be. It is a movie, though, that is so different from today's films, any of them, because it does take its time. It breathes, and I would argue, like the rest of you, that it breathes too much. Even I will fast forward as it's going through the clouds and over feature. <laughs> I'll do about half the time. But uh, why is it so freaking awesome? Because it was my, it was, it was what got me into Star Trek. 
when you talk to Justin or, or others on how they came into Star Trek, it was that one movie, that one thing they saw that pulled them in. And then, you know, it, it'll forever kind of sit in your heart as being that special. So that's really it with that movie. I'm not saying it's the best Star Trek movie, but it's my favorite. Amy Nelson. Look at Amy Nelson. Look at Amy Nelson. Last year at the Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, we couldn't even get her onto the mic. She sat there and watched us do a show. And she loved everything Star Trek and so happy and so positive. And now look at her. She's on three podcasts, well, two for, for some, but guest starring on others all over the board, taking uh, control of so many things. Just watching her go and grow has been so fantastic. I think Amy's just awesome. Anyway, she writes, is there a specific incident or choice in your life that Star Trek influenced you? You know, Star Trek influenced me in so many areas. It influenced me how people should be treated, how to view the world through a diverse and inclusive lens from a very young age. I think I was very, very lucky that, that, that I grew up with a show that, that taught the values that it did. And then when I was in the service, you know, a lot of people can, can argue it's inhumanitarian, are we in there to do bad things, whatever. But I will tell you one thing it is. It is very inclusive and it's very diverse. So as a kid growing up in Boston, I was not in a very diverse area at all. Very sheltered. And joining the Navy, serving with people of color and different ethnicities, different backgrounds, and different, and different gender for that matter, the only thing that mattered, the only thing that mattered what was, is, was what was on your collar, right? Same thing as Star Trek, whether it was on your sleeve in TOS or on your collar in TNG, that's the only thing that mattered was, does this person outrank me? Does they Do they wear a certain color so I know what specialty they work in, just like they do in the Navy? Whatever it is. And so I would say that Star Trek influenced me to, to be a better person. It helped me through a lot of trying times, just like a lot of our other listeners. And that's what makes it such a special show. It's more than that. And that's why we're doing this. That's why we're so involved and so invested in this show. So, you know, the other thing that is really nice about Star Trek and getting into podcast podcasting is all the friends like Amy that I've been able to meet and enjoy and truly call friends. It's, it's like a brother and sisterhood that starts almost immediately. And it really is a lot of fun. Michael Zitnar, another Z, my buddy, Michael Zitnar and I deployed back in 2004 and 2005 for a year over in the sandbox. And he's just a great guy. He was in a different detachment, but we were in the same unit. And, uh, and he wrote, uh, when we were deployed together, you kept yelling, I have the con, proudly inserting Mr. Ataz's quote here. Um, anyway, he, um, he's, he's, he's such a great guy and a, and a nice guy. He was always one of those people that, that, that showed up, did his job, performed the mission, and you can tell he loved what he does. And still, even on his Facebook page, even though we're 12 years past that deployment, I believe it's still that picture that's up there, Mike. So that, that's pretty cool. So his question is, would you like to see the Kelvin Timeline do a Mirror Universe style movie? The answer to that is, yes, I would. Absolutely. I love the... Um, the reboots. I love this cast. I would really like to see them have as much fun as they just did in Beyond. And it would be awesome if the two could kind of come together. I would really like to see something that takes place where if there's an antagonist, it has to be very, very cleverly thought out as to, as to how they're going to deal with it. And some kind of 
circumstance that brings the two universes together, you know, <laughs> uh, could could be could be a lot of fun, I think. And so, yeah, I, I believe me, I would love to see any movies that, that they could make with this cast. I need TOS to continue. I mean, look at I'm on a 50 year old show. We've got a series of movies that came out in the in the 80s mostly, and now we have you know three movies that have come out over the last eight years, and it's really tough to um to to come and try and make it fresh all the time and now with the edge and we're all going to be tuned into that man believe me i'd love the movies to continue i'd love to see some crossover there's absolutely no reason why they couldn't use a lot of these same actors to show up on discovery and i'm hoping they do that i'm hoping there's going to be some some good um good intel that comes back from from the uh from San Diego and from Las Vegas and maybe some hints that some of that could happen because, you know, I, I love it all and I think it would be a lot of fun. So I think that uh, that would be a big plus for us. B. Shea Metalla says, Ken, why do you hate Jaws the Revenge? Also, rank the Jaws films in your order. <laughs> Jaws is my all-time favorite movie and it is top of the line for me. The other Jaws movies just were terrible. And and by the time you got to Jaws 4, <laughs> The Revenge, a shark that follows people from Martha's Vineyard to the Bahamas to kill a certain family members. I mean, it was it was so bad. And it has one of the bigger gaffes in movie history where um, Michael Caine, I can't believe Michael Caine made Jaws 4, but Michael Caine was in Jaws 4. Michael Caine crashes a plane into the ocean. The shark bites the plane, pulls it under, and somehow he magically escapes. We don't know how. But he is next seen climbing up on a boat, having emerged from a sunken plane, swimming underwater in the ocean, up over the side of a boat, and he is completely dry. So not only was this show's theory and plot ridiculously stupid, but... It was so poorly made, and it made no sense. But listen, I love having fun with with Bichet. He, um, God, what a great guy, and what a what a busy guy around the network. You know, there's so many things he's doing behind the scenes. It's it's incredible. I think he's become Chris's right hand, maybe his right and left, and sometimes because the guy is always doing something. But but I will tell you that um, he is a, he is a big Jaws fan, and he loves all the Jaws movies, and and. And I don't get it because the first one isn't a class by itself. It is one of the best motion pictures of all time. It's up there with, you know, Gone with the Wind, Citizen Kane, uh, Apocalypse Now. I, I mean, uh, The Color Purple. I'm just naming a lot of movies that I really like, folks, but I don't know if they're all the best in the world. But that kind of caliber to compare the other Jaws movies. Oh, my God. That is just so sad. But. I love the fun that we've been having with this, even on Twitter and other things where I just, but I am, I have to say I'm a little upset with Bichet. Two things. One, he asked people to rate what was your best Jaws movie and he put the four Jaws movies up there. The fact that it didn't get 100% that Jaws was the best movie ever made or best of at least the four Jaws movies is sickening. There's something wrong with society. And then the other one he did was, what was the best of the worst? And he put my beloved Star Trek The Motion Picture up there with the Final Frontier and Insurrection and Nemesis and, oh, and, and Into Darkness. 
And it just it just made me want to cry. It's not one of the best of the worst. It's one of the best of the best, Brandon. Come on. One of these days, you're going to understand that. You're going to get it. You're going to appreciate it. It'll hit you like a ton of bricks. And if it doesn't, stop teasing me about it. I'm a sensitive guy. Anyway, great questions, Bichet. Thanks for, thanks for participating. The last question came in from Ronsana. And uh, happy birthday goes out to Ronsana. Just celebrated that recently. Considering the vast amounts of media TOS has appeared in, which includes video games, comic strips, animation, bobbleheads, I could go on and on. Where do you feel it has been underrepresented? Ron, great question. I'm going to I'm going to have Zach answer that when he comes back for a very, very specific reason. I don't play in any of those things. Um I think the last time I played a video game was probably Space Invaders. All right, I'm being a little facetious, but I've never really, I think, 15, 20 seconds on a Star Wars video game with my boys, probably back in 2003, I was blown up in like a nanosecond um, and then got a new life, was blown up again, got a new life, was blown up again. And I have never, ever gotten into video games. I was definitely into comic books as a young kid. I had hundreds of them. And um, after probably about 1981 or 82, I didn't get into it at all. I kind of, I've kind of walked away from, from all of it. And I got interested again with all the new movies that started popping up, especially with Batman in the late 80s and so forth. But, you know, to be honest, Ron, I don't have a feel where it's, where it's underrepresented because... I still think that uh, Mr. Spock is the most identified, most, I guess, recognized person in all of Star Trek. You, you see Mr. Spock and people know it's Star Trek. They may recognize William Shatner. They may recognize some of the other captains or whatever, but there is nothing that pulls Star Trek in like Leonard Nimoy's Mr. Spock and now Zachary Quinto's Mr. Spock. So, Zach, when you come on, this is going to be the first question. Where is TOS not being represented? Is it Star Trek Online? Is it anything, any place where we haven't seen it? Because I'm just coming off last year's 50th anniversary where it was Star Trek, uh, the original series, all the way around. So, folks, you guys tell me. Anyway, so... That's all I have for this week. It was a, a quick show, and I really appreciate you listening. Zach will be back with me next week. We're going to pour on the afterburners. And my goodness, I mean, we're only 18, 17 episodes away from episode number 200. Believe me, we're going to be starting the planning stages there because I cannot wait to see if we can get a lot of our past hosts back on and have a lot of fun because 200 episodes, that's a lot. And in the time that, that Zach and I have been doing it, and we just celebrated one year of Standard Orbit. This July has been one year of, of doing these episodes together as a team, which is just, where did it go? We, we, we only missed one week, and that was uh, right before Memorial Day. Otherwise, we've been producing a show every single week. We're glad we're seeing as many listeners as we are, and the numbers keep going up. And even with the ready room coming back and you got the orb coming back and the edge and you've got so many other shows on the network that are, are coming around and it's just really 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 fun to see how far and how fast we've come in the last year and the fact that we can take this show and just keep it going it's uh it's a lot of fun so a heartfelt thanks to all of our listeners out there. Thank you for entertaining me for one day. Just me. I've never done this solo before. Hopefully it'll come out okay. I'll be editing it shortly. I'll be able to know for myself if this is something I'll ever do again. But in the meantime, folks, please enjoy the rest of your summer. I hope everybody's doing well. 
and feedback, questions, answers, and letters from our listeners isn't the only thing we're talking this week. So here's what else you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, The Orb. It's kind of weird if you walk into Picard's ready room and, you know, a sad John Mayer song is playing. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Or if he was listening to Jewel. You know, that would be really, really unexpected. (laughs) Oh, man, that's bringing it back right there. I can totally see him listening to the Pieces album. To the journey! But imagine how much his big black eyes would have popped if he was wearing the blue face paint. Nice, Trey. (laughs) Like a bullion. I didn't realize the bullions were Scottish, but you know. Bullions could be Scottish. Meta Trex. Trip is just absolutely fascinated with the pan fried catfish that this replicator can make, and Archer doesn't want anything to do with it. He's pushing back against it. He doesn't he doesn't trust. What is it like a Trojan catfish or something? <laughs> the ready room. And that makes you wonder what does the Federation do when a member world shifts in that way and starts to take on characteristics that go against the foundation of the Federation Charter in the first place. Yeah, it's just some sort of process for like removing a world from the Federation if they go too far from Federation norms and values and ideals. I think so. I think I think they hold a Fexit vote. So <laughs> they decide that they are going to leave the Federation. Yeah. This is Stratos though. I mean, it might be a Strexit vote. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfn slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm or on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm and of course in the Babel Conference type. Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron on the network on Patreon. If you visit Patreon slash Trek FM, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM, you'll find the current goals and different milestone contributions along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details on patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our great associate producers for Standard Orbit. We have Renee Roberts, Norman Lau, Aaron Harvey, Tim Robertson, Nick Anastasio, Richard Marquez, and Corey Elrod. Yes, thank you guys so much for your support for both Standard Orbit and Trek FM. Uh, so, Ken, if people want to find you out there on the internet, where can they find you? Hey, you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference and engaging people when I when I have the opportunity. You can also find me on Twitter, 
My uh, Twitter handle is at Boston SCPO. And we, uh, we like to tweet out all our new episode information as soon as we get it, as, lo- as well as our colleagues. So look for me there. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman series from the early 2000s. And you can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. Standard Orbit.